I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things, because your story has power. Today, you're going to hear from my friend, Marsha, and this is an incredible story, miracles and bold faith, but also a story of hearing from the Lord and responding, confidently knowing his voice and responding. And I am hopeful and prayerful that this one is going to inspire you to ask the Lord to speak and to respond in obedience. Hey, thank you so much. I am really excited, like truly, really excited to have you in here with us and just to give you a chance to talk about your story in a way that is I mean, you get opportunities for people to hear you and hear your story. You, you're you're kind of, you know, your spread is getting there. But for, for us to get to, like, let people hear your story, part of Layla's story. So, anyway, let's talk a little bit about how we got connected and how you ended up in here. I don't even know how to talk about it. So, you are fr- in, in the Kansas City area. Yes. We were not friends. Like, did we just met last week. Yes. Right. Correct. In person. So how how did we how did I hear about your story? What like what what is the connect and how did you get here? And then we'll back up and do some timeline. Yeah, I think that you reached out to me on Facebook on the fifth of March. <laughs> Why you know that? But okay. Or no, the, I'm sorry, the fifth of August. August, not March. Yes. Okay. And of like 20... 2020. 20. Mm-hmm. And I was posting about Layla's story and journey through her whole time at the hospital. And you just reached out to me because that's the time I think you were talking to me about your husband and his cancer and your family. And we just talked back and forth and I asked how I could pray for you. And you were telling me how you were praying for me every time you were praying for your husband. Yeah. So I think that's where it's super bizarre. Yeah. Um, so we weren't even friends on social media yet. We have mutual friends, partially because the church world and the Christian world in our community is pretty, pretty intertwined. And there's a lot of, you know, webbing there. So somehow along the line, if it was August 5th, if, since you know your dates better than I do, mm-hmm. it meant that I had known that Scott had serious cancer for right at about a month. So we're like literally right at not quite the 30-day mark. And I'm guessing that my logic was I saw something about a little girl that in August would have, what, been in a coma? And we'll get to, we'll, we'll talk about all this. Yeah, actually she was um, healing and she was on her way to come home. Okay, okay, so you were kind of past the... Somehow I missed that, I guess. Mm-hmm. It probably, you know, it, July 9th was what we call like the worst day. It was the day we found out that things were very, very serious. So, okay, so I, I reached out. I didn't remember this until my, I call her my podcast boss, told me, go back and read your messages. Like there is a connect here that you are missing. But I think what my thought was is there's somebody else going through something hard. And so something, my, my message was longer than this, but it, somewhere in there it was like, hey, we have mutual friends. I've heard the story about your daughter. And when I pray for Scott, I pray for Layla. Correct. And part of it was I knew it's not the same. A sick kid and a sick grown-up, it doesn't doesn't feel the same. But I knew the fear is similar, the 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 anxiety that you feel the trying to fight for your faith and I and I knew because of our connections that you too were using that platform to talk about to talk about the Lord. Mm-hmm. I remember actually now 
I think about it when we connected, once we connected, I remember the way you talked about scripture in your posts and you, I mean, you were really using that platform to not just get people to pray for, for Layla, but to talk about the Lord and, and allow him to get glory. So I think what it did, and I think I said this in that message is it is helping me take the focus off of our fear and our hard and not wallow. I think I even used that word, not, not wallow in it to go. There's other people going through hard things. And so when I pray for Scott, I pray for Layla. And so, and then for me, I, I felt like she got better and I don't remember. And obviously my story went really differently. And so it's been two years since Scott's been gone. So more than two years of your story turning. And so then now we're doing this thing where it's like, we know all these people that have these great stories that God has used, um, God is using and your name came back around and I'm like, okay, yeah. To me, it was like you were a stranger. Yeah, great. Let's put a, put a stranger in here. I'm not afraid of that. But then to go back and remember is just, that's how your whole story is going to be like that. These little things along the way. So, so now we are really still not completely intertwined, but you are raising kids and still talking about what the Lord did in that story. So let's go back then to what, what happened. And let's actually go back even a little bit further. Can you give a little snapshot of like, what did life look like prior? Right. You know? Um, and I was thinking too, someday, I think there's parts of your marriage story and your, your love story that are, that are really good too. So maybe that's like part two, but it just like, what did your family look like? What did your faith look like? Little snapshot before. Okay. So yeah, beforehand we were very strong with our faith. Um, me and my daughters, we love to always wake up in the morning and do our little daily devotions together and pray over each other. Big praying family. I used to do women's ministry, so my kids loved going to the events and watching me and and just growing strong. I think they grew stronger through that path and that journey. With Layla's situation, she when COVID hit, I just then noticed more headaches and more stress being put on her, to her body and how she was more fatigued and just the more of the um, headaches being longer and lasting longer. There were some days I was giving her up to eight pills of ibuprofen, which was crazy to think for a little body, but she was just in that much pain. Okay. So it's COVID. So like March of March, April of 2020, I lose track of time. It all time goes around cancer, but that's right. 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 March, April, 2020. Mm-hmm. She's how old, how old's your other people that live in your house? Yes. Give us kind of that picture. So she's nine and that would make Elizabeth almost 16. Okay. And yeah, so she's just nine years old. COVID maybe slowed down life a little bit. So she's around more Mm -hmm. and you're noticing the headaches are worse more often. You're giving a lot of pain relief. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then she just, then progressing further, that's when in July the accident actually happened. Okay. What is that? What, What happened? Well, in July, she woke up with a terrible headache at 5 a.m. in the morning And she just immediately said, mom, I do not want to die. And I was like, baby, you just got a bad headache. You're not going to die. And so I gave her some medicine and I laid her beside me. And then she just got up and it's like she could feel something happening. And she immediately vomited. And we put her in the tub and we were trying to clean up the vomit. And we, that's when we noticed that she was seizuring in the tub. Okay. And so we then called the ambulance and had them come. I had like a little past history. I worked with a little kid when I was 14 and got trained on trigger seizures. 
So I knew it wasn't triggered by anything. And then my um, granddaughter had um, temperature yeah. Yeah, seizures. And I knew this wasn't it either because the day before she was supposed to have a friend spend the night. So I just told them this. I was like, look, it is something more serious. Mm-hmm. And So you call... 911, the ambulance comes. Are you riding in the ambulance with them, get, trying to give them, you know, these thoughts or what? We were there in the hallway forever. And I was just like, come on, we've got to move. And so we got her in the ambulance. And I don't know why, but the ambulance never left. The fire truck left, but the ambulance didn't. Hmm. And I noticed that she had another seizure. And so did he. So he radioed like, I don't have time to get to Children's Mercy. I'm going to take her closer. And I knew instantly. I put one hand on the top of her head, one hand on the top bottom of her feet. And I just prayed out loud, so out loud that the EMT just sat there and stared at me and just started praying too. And I knew immediately I got this fill over my body. It's okay. I was like, we're okay. Let's go. So they then take us to the Lee Summit Hospital. Um, I went into the room, saw the scans and the, the EMT was supposed to leave with the ambulance, but something told him to stay. So normally they would call children's mercies, um, ambulance to come pick up and they, he says, I'm here, I'm taking them. I remember you saying he should have left and he was like, no, I'm going to stay. And then that's what allowed him to be there to, to run her to children's. Yes. So they got her whatever they felt like was stable enough to then put her again in an ambulance to go to the children's hospital. Yes. Okay. At this point, she's still seizing, not responsive. Do they have her kind of in a medically induced? No, they, that was, they had her in nothing and she was just breathing and that was it. Okay. And when I remember when we got to children's mercy, they were like, why didn't they, you know, do something more with her? I remember a lady saying that and I looked and thinking, oh my goodness, that's not a good sign. And then I remember the priest coming in and saying, we've got to go quick. And they were like putting the tubes in her and everything. But they said, they, the priest told us, I'm bringing her oldest daughter in. And when they, I saw that happen, I was thinking, okay, this is not really, something's telling me this is not good for them to let Elizabeth come say goodbye. And I was like, okay. And the priest is making the decision? The priest came and said, I'm going to go ahead and bring in her oldest daughter. Yeah. And so they then take her and then they know that we need to get, because of COVID, Elizabeth can't be there. So we're waiting for my neighbor to come pick her up. And while we're waiting, the priest is talking to us. And I was sharing, no, this is going to be good. This is going to end good. I know it is. And I shared with him Layla's story about always wanting to own her own church and how she always recruited and how her faith is so strong that God has big plans for his daughter, that there is nothing bad going to happen. And he was mesmerized with just talking with us that I now look back and remember him often coming to our room and just to talk with me and Mm -hmm. just say, how are you doing? And he would say, I am just amazed by how strong you are holding this together. Mm -hmm. So... Okay, so kind of fast forward, you get, at what point you get a diagnosis? I mean, they tell you what's going on, Mm -hmm. kind of walk through some of that. Yeah, so I do want to backtrack just a little bit. I did take a woman's trip in June because this happened, her accident happened on July 22nd. And July, June 12th, I took a woman's trip. And it was just for us to reconnect with my old group of friends. And I had a dream (laughs) that day before that um, I needed to tell them something. So when we were there that night, we were sitting around just talking. I said, girls, I had to tell you, I had a dream and God wanted me to tell you something big is getting ready to happen. And we are to come together because we need to be there for each other. 
it's going to be something that we need to stay strong for each other, but we need to know that it's getting ready to happen. And you sucked all the air out of the room and everyone wanted to throw it. And my girlfriend was like, I don't like this. I don't like what you just told me. And I was like, I don't like it either, but we are to prepare for this. Okay. And we'll get to the way God talks to you. I want to talk about that for sure, but I want to lay out the story first and then we'll kind of come back to that. Yeah. But yeah. So when we get to the hospital, um, I still don't know. They were just taking her straight to surgery. I knew that I saw the mass on her brain and that's it. Um, what that timing did from when us going to Lee Summit Hospital to Children's Mercy, they were able to iCloud all the images. So it gave time for the doctor to review everything. Mm-hmm. So they went in and they did a craniotomy. And that's when they saw all the blood and how the brain shifted three-fourths of the way over to the left side. So did, did you know what you were looking at before or and know the surgery was about a blood clot or, or clots or, I mean, a mass? Did you know what they were going in to do that first surgery? No. I remember standing there by, her name was Dr. Miller in Lee Summit Hospital. And I remember standing there going, what is that? And Mm -hmm. she's like, it's not good, but we need to get her there. I mean, you could just see it. they didn't even explain it. it. Okay. Okay. So they go in, brain is shifted. That's from swelling, blood. Blood, yeah. Um, From the, the AVM rupturing. So, which we didn't know about until after her surgery, doctor came out and talked to us and just told us, look, this is what we found. We found that she has had an AVM. These are developed during the second trimester of birth or not birth, but you know, when they're in the womb and, um, she, um, just had a whole mass of coils of, of, you know, vessels just coiled together and it ruptured. And it normally happens through a growth state or, you know, there's a couple other different reasons why they do rupture. He just said, but when I went in there, it blocked itself. Hmm. So You're like, no, I was like, it didn't. well, I, no, I felt like, yeah, it did. I remember feeling like it's going to be okay. When I was in that ambulance, I felt like this is going to be okay. Yeah. So I feel like God blocked it. But God is, did it. Yeah. 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 But it was great, you know, and that's when I told him, I was like, well, God blocked it. And he just stood there and stared at me. No words. Yeah. And I'm like, now what? And he right. goes, now we let her rest. And we wait and we see if she has any more seizures. You know, we've got to put a game plan together to take care of this. And are you like Googling what happens if it doesn't, da, 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 or now that you know it has a name, or are you like minute by minute just trusting them, waiting? Oh, I am researching like a mad woman and yeah. I'm asking lots of questions and trying to figure it all out because I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know, okay, what's the outcome? What's, what's it going to be? You know, I mean, even though I rely on God and I pray to God daily, I still have fear. Sure. And so I was still like, like wondering where do we go from here? Will she be able to walk? What, I mean, the first thing I pulled up was, you know, it's all just depends on where it's located. Yeah. You know, will be she ever talk again? Will I ever mm-hmm. see her play a sport, have a baby? Mm-hmm. You know, all those mm-hmm. things were running through my head. Yeah. And she, um, just that, that when I remember walking into that room and I saw her laying there and, you know, when you hear craniotomy, you don't think of anything, but when she was completely shaved and her tubes every which way and the scars and just seeing her there lifeless and machines were just doing everything for her. I was just like, this is more than what. This is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember you saying that they asked for a picture of what she looked like before so that they could see her that way too. So that was in the room so that they knew, you know, it wasn't tubes and a shaved head. Right. It was a little girl. 
a really, really cute little girl. Yeah. Was she 10 by this point? No, she was still nine. Still nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then how does that, what, 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 how does this all play out? At the end, the whole ending? Well, <laughs> no, whatever you want, whatever you want. I mean, this is a matter of, of weeks. Yeah. Where at one point they they go to wake her up and then they end up putting her back. Yeah. In, so I mean, there was a lot of lot of steps along the way. I think that we were in there a total of three and a half weeks, which which felt like a year. I mean, but each day something new happened. Like the first twenty four hours, I remember a doctor coming in and he kept leaving the room, looking at scans, coming back in, and I was getting really aggravated. And I just told the nurse, "I'm stopping him." And she was like, well, they just have their way of communicating, you know. And I finally stopped and I said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You, you've been in this room yep. in a matter of five minutes, six times. And he said, I've got to show you these images. I mean, within 24 hours, her brain was three-fourths of the way shifted. And in 24 hours, it was completely symmetrical back. Hmm. You know, I just saw God working. And he couldn't believe it. That's why he kept looking and coming. Like, am I missing something? Could he, not. He, he couldn't believe it. Could not. And, then, and I... And in each day when these doctors would visit with her, even afterwards, they would all say, you do know you are a miracle. You are a miracle. You know, and I keep thinking about them. I'm always calling her the little miracle patient, you know, so. Which isn't really words that they throw around. I mean, because they want to explain everything. Right. They want to have an explanation. So, I mean, that's that's just more God kind of working on them. And, I mean, obviously, he saw so much with you and, and even her faith prior and, and after. So. Right. Um, yeah. That's that's good. So he comes in and out. It, it gets symmetrical again. But then, I mean, there's still healing that is having to take place. Yes. So our steps through the whole process was just letting her rest and just see where she goes from there. And then I remember in the first 24 hours, she started coughing and moving her right hand, which they loved. But it was like my glory moments were like, yay. But then they're like, no, we don't want her to do nothing. Mm. We don't want her to put any more strain onto her brain. So those yay moments turned to. Then they kind of subdued her. They, they gave her medicine to. She's just completely just still in her little stage of being under and no movement Because okay, they wanted that. They yes. wanted her to literally rest her brain. Yes. From even coughing. I mean, they just wanted her to do that. Okay. Right. Okay. So how does it, like, how do you get to leave? Like, what does it look like three and a half weeks later? What, how has it turned? Well, we went through, we were got transferred to KU and that's where they ended up doing the immobilization of the um, coils and the vessels that coiled and glued it. Um, so that was a success story of him going through a 13 hour surgery and doing that. Okay. Yeah. No. So we need to back up. Okay. I, Cause I'm now I'm putting it all, that was all in the same three and a half weeks. Yes. Okay. So they, after the craniotomy and they're relieving, they were trying to relieve some of the pressure that first time and see what they were dealing with. Right. They saw that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then they had to decide to go back in to who was going to go back in. Should we go back in? That's a big story too. Who did it? Why he did it? When he didn't do it? When he said he was going to do it? Tell all that. Yeah. So within um, 48 hours, we did do another MRI. We did see that um, one of her um, tubes that were giving them accurate information on the brain and, you know, how much blood was being drained and everything stopped working. So she had to go back in and do another surgery. Then after 48 hours, we ended up doing another MRI. They were able to see it a little clearer now that all the blood was coming out and um, draining and they were putting together a plan. I think they already knew he could not get to this. She has that one of the, she's fought the fifth rarest in the world for this AVM that she had. So it was not where we 
do gamma knife. It's not where we do, we go in and just surgically remove it. It had to be more innovated. So they then knew that they needed a partner with KU and with Dr. Ebersol to um, have him do this. He is so well known that everybody kept saying to me, you need to do your research on this doctor. He like did a surgery on a one day old baby and he coiled her brain and she's now 13 years old. Yeah. And come to find out he was one of the dad uncles that was following our story oh my gosh. as well. Okay. So again, it was just such a big circle yeah. that all came together from God's planning. So they, they brought him in. I mean, children's and KU kind of worked together to then decide when to do it, how to do it. Correct. And if it should be done, right? I thought there was maybe some that were like, I can't do it. We, I, we shouldn't do it. He was the only one, right, that was willing to do it. Yeah, so that that's the one that he they knew that he would be the one that would have the best tactics to go in and do this because he's done it before. Okay. And so we went through where we waited for from the 22nd to the 28th was transport day. So we got to be transported there to KU. And then I remember we were supposed to have surgery the next day, the 29th. But it was just, he came to us and told us, look, I have a very busy schedule. I would have all these patients before you. I could start at 4 p.m., but I know that I need to have a clear mind for this case. So he wanted to make it a morning. Make it a morning. Okay. I then went the next morning. We prepared her for surgery, and I remember standing over the doctor and praying over him. And I was praying for his head. I was praying for his hands. I was praying for God to just, you know, be the work in this miracle and let it all shine through. And he just stopped and stared at me while I was praying. (laughs) And later did I know he was like, yeah, I felt something during that moment. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, I was praying for your toes. Yeah, I told him that. I told him I was praying for everything. But he just gave us, like, this is what's going to happen. I don't know. We Our goal is to get some good images, and if I can coil it and glue it, I will. We will just see where it goes. And then I knew when I sat down, I was holding onto my wooden cross. And I remember sitting there with my husband. I was like, it's not going to happen today. The surgery is not going to happen. And my husband's like, stop it, knock it off. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm tired of you and doing these things where you're seeing visions or you want to know that you're hearing and no, it's going to happen. Cause he just wanted his little girl to be wanted to happen. So better. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember listening to a podcast and to just take away some time And the podcast was on when God says no. It's all in God's timing, not our timing. And when he says no, it's for a reason. So six hours later, they came out and said that Layla's lungs did not sound good and they needed to stop the procedure. So they came and talked to me and I was like, it's okay, guys. It's God said no. And they were just staring at me. And I remember the anesthesiologist team came up and sat in the hallway while they're prepping Layla in her room. And they were like really kitten gloving me. I was like, guys, this is okay. We're going to get it. We're going to get it on God's timing. It's okay. And they just like kept staring at me. Like I, they didn't even know what to say. They're like, okay, thank you. And then they left. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Epistolf came in and he told us, look, guys, I got some good images while we were in there. We're going to put her on some breathing treatments. We're going to get her lungs better. And we're going to see about tacking this again tomorrow. So just a day later. Day later. Okay. Not even 24 hours later. Okay. So he then says, got a phone call from him. He said, I met with the board for Children's Mercy and KU, and I think I have a plan. Okay. Okay. That evening, I remember it was the first time I ran home to see my daughter 
take a shower in my own shower and grab new clothes. And I got a phone call and I was on conference call, listen, let my daughter listen and let her grandma listen. And I remember him saying, guys, I, I think I, I 50% can take care of this. I just want you to know that. And and I was like praying that whole night that God, please give him the wisdom that he needs to do the yeah, surgery. That 50% doesn't feel as confident as we want. A lot more better than what we yeah. were being told. Yeah. Well, true, <laughs> yeah. true. So then that morning he came in and he's like, I figured out how I'm going to take care of it. So again, he could have been arrogant and he could think I'm going to go in and I'm going to just do this while I'm mm-hmm. in here. But he listened, mm-hmm. the, the anesthesiologist listened, you know, and it was all God's timing to give him that time. Yeah. That time vision of knowing how to take how to, care yep. of it. Yep. So the next day, a 13 hour surgery took place and Gosh, that's a long time. he came out just so fatigued and I remember he couldn't really talk to us. He was just telling his nurse to fill us in for everything. And he just said, I got it. Hmm. And he took care of it. And he came down to the room while she was getting all situated. And he showed us the images of the whole coiled mess and how it was black of just the the mass of coils. Mm -hmm. And then he showed how beautifully white it all was. Mm. And it was just amazing. I mean, like I had tears rolling down my face. He was even saying, you know, it's high risk, but such great rewards to be able to take care of it. And they were like, she's transporting back to children's mercy tomorrow. And I'm like, what? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's like, she'll do her recovery there and we'll follow up with you in six months. And I'm like, Hey, that's it. That's it. Okay. So then she goes back to children's and is there for a couple of weeks in, in healing. Yeah, so that was on July 30, let's say 30th. So she were transferred back the 31st, and then she went home on August 5th. Just every day after that was just more miracles along the way happening. Mm. Just that her journey just kept getting better and better and better. She went through some tough times, but I just remember it just going so fast that everybody just could not believe how fast mm-hmm. and good it was progressing. I do remember Dr. Kaufman, they moved us um, out of PICU. And I remember Dr. Kaufman saying to me, it's all good. She's going to have a normal life. Mm. And I'm just thinking, where, why did you not tell me this on the 22nd, you know? But they just did not know they where didn't it was know. going. Yeah. 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 But I just thought they knew, you know, they knew this was going to go good. Yeah. No. Right. Okay. So home and you said some tough, some tough times. I mean, is she having to relearn things or I mean, were you still unsure, like full recovery, brain damage? I mean, you know, bleed, a brain bleed is, it can cause a lot of lasting things or were you still unsure of what, I mean, yes, they told you she's going to live a normal life, but right. normal is relative and. I think we knew it was going to be okay because of where it was located. Where it was located okay. said a lot. You know, the brain's, you know, broken up. Don't get mm-hmm. me all the people are doctors, you know, four different ways. You know, it was on the right side. It was on the lower back. So okay. it did not affect any speech, um, mobility. The only thing that hurt her for mobility-wise just was from the stroke, you know. So she had very little movement on her left side, but each day she was gaining strength on it. So um, she wasn't just seizing. She had a stroke. She They call it a stroke, yes. Wow. okay. And so she did, um, like, have to do some OT and PT and speech inside of the hospital, but that was short-lived because then they wanted us to do that, continue it while we were outside of the mm-hmm. um, hospital. But 
I mean, I remember things that they had to make sure she could do. We had steps to enter in our house. So she needed to be able to step up three mm-hmm. steps. They wanted to make sure that since her room was on the second floor that we watched her and took her to the bathroom and we helped her up the stairs and just little things like that until she can regain her strength. She went from 62 pounds to 38 pounds in a matter of four weeks. Mm-hmm. So she was just so tiny and mm-hmm. weak. She had drop foot severely. So her left foot was like sideways. So we did a lot of the boots and, you know, stretching and mobility there, but she did have to go through retraining her brain to do some different things mm-hmm. and strengthening her left side. So we did do PT and OT and speech. I remember she went to a facility. They wanted her all day long. And I was like praying and God was like, no, she does not need to be there all day long. So I reverted back to that night and I prayed and said, show me, tell me where do I need to take her? And he brought to me in my dream, you need to go see this person, which happened to be the husband of the lady that did my kids first haircuts. And then he said, and then you need to reach out to this person, which happened to be my kindergarten best friend's mom, which opened her own school and facility. And she's a very wise woman with speech pathology and, um, and OT. And she, um, was supposed to work with her. And she, when I called her that next day, she's like, I was told I'm supposed to help Layla. Mm. So, but this is all while you're sleeping, literal, a literal dream. Yes. You're, you, you're okay. We'll, we'll get there too, but yes. Okay. So <laughs> the, you, you get home, you continue that's it's summertime. Yes. So she's at home recovering. Are you in a situation where you should be going to work, but you're not going to work? Yeah. So I just worked part-time at that time. And so I decided that I need to stay home and be with Layla. I called her school. We had meetings with her school and they were just like, let her take her time and rest, Mm -hmm. you know, do. So she didn't go back in August? No. Or when, when people went back to school? Okay. Yeah. She still met her teacher and her teacher. What was really neat was, is that during that whole summer, she was taking classes and learning more about the brain. Oh, wow. I mean, it just kept getting so much more connected. It was like, how could I get this teacher, but also a teacher that understands what she's gone through. And she was asking me questions that were of detail that I was like, she knows what she's talking about. Okay, I could talk to you about this. So so, so they knew that let's let Layla stay home and rest. Let's just let her have her do the core subjects when she can. And we will just put her on a slow path until she can regain her, her strength. And then PT ended up being right across the street from the school. They had a pool. So aqua therapy, so good for brain injury patients. And I knew that that's where God told me to go. Mm. And that was the great place for her. Yeah. Instead Um, of all day long, kind of like school. Right. Right. Which is exhausting. It is exhausting. Plus she's still having headaches. She's still her brain, um, the blood in her brain still trying to redirect, you know, it had all this places to go and it was, you know, just working so much overtime and here it's got to refigure like, Oh, where do I go now? What do Mm -hmm. I do with this? Mm -hmm. So it had to do work in itself. I mean, we bought blackout curtains for the whole house. So any room she could go, the light would not be too much pressure, Mm -hmm. soft sounds, just letting her sleep majority of the day, nourishing her body with great foods to regain her strength. Mm -hmm. Because we changed her diet like 100%. I remember I read an article about how Australia, they um, do a lot of seaweed with brain injury patients. Mm -hmm. So I went and purchased mounds of seaweed and we had seaweed parties and it was so horrible, but we all rolled that (laughs) seaweed up and we took it like a team with each other and just chomped it up and just knew that if we're, we went through this together, we're doing it. You know, we just never wanted her to feel like it was something different. Yeah. So 
she did lose from the radiation. She lost all of the hair on the back of her head. They they kind of did like an Indian braid on her when they were at KU. So it like could flip up and they would be able to radiate on the back of her um, skull to see what they needed to get. And they it was completely bald, like shiny as all get out. And I remember just sitting there going, oh no, is this going to ever grow back? But thank goodness they crowned it and then she could have hair that covered it. Because mm-hmm. I did speak to other people that had AVMs that said, my hair never grew back Mm -hmm. and that she'll feel cold fronts coming in. She'll get sensations back there, you know, just give me some wisdom on it. Um, So you knew people or got introduced to people who had survived one. Yes. But also there are those who don't, right? It ruptures and they, they don't wake up. Right. So, I mean, do you know, are there stats on, on that? Like the likelihood of her recovering this way, is it really low? For hers, it was not. They knew that she was going to recover. Okay. They knew because, like I said, where it was located. It just. But I mean, when it happened, had you not gotten her to, you can't just keep seizing and it can't just keep bleeding. Right. So at some point, I mean, they had to have recognized what it was fast enough. So I just wonder if, if in other places, if if the access to hospitals or ambulance or if it if it's less common that you're you're able to get the help that you need and. The recovery. So yeah, and I'm part of an AVM group. I immediately joined that the first night I was in the hospital. So I was able to go through and read a lot of stories That's of good. what happened and and there's just so many different ways this AVM develops mm-hmm. and where it develops and stuff. And like some of them weren't good stories and some of them mm-hmm. did pass and but they were there to share with others to encourage them of what went through their child or through their themselves right. as adults. So yeah, I was able to, you know, read more on that and educate myself more a little bit yeah. through what they went through. Yeah. No, that's good too. That's other people's stories being used to mm-hmm. help you. Okay, so now, you know, we're, what what grade is she in? She was going into fifth grade. But I mean now. Or, yeah, fourth or fifth fifth grade, yeah. I'm trying to think. Going into fifth grade? (laughs) Going into fourth grade, sorry. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she was in a fourth grader then, so she's in sixth grade now? Correct. Okay. And so what happens now, like, if she has a headache? Is there a, is there a fear? Is there you know, still, uh, it doesn't just go away where, oh, we don't even remember that that was our story. That was such a crazy time. I mean, it is, it, there's, there's parts of it that hang around. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for her? It doesn't affect her. She's not like that. Okay. Yeah. It's, I had a lady ask me, you know, do you kit and glove her? I remember that she was like, I need to learn how to ride my bike again. It was her, her drive, her, her drive. Like, I, I'm not going to let this stop me. Yeah. Like she told her PT specialist, um, I like my scooter. Can I try my scooter? And she's like, bring it in next week. Okay. So there she goes. She's scooting. And yeah. she was getting mad at the PT specialist when she was in the pool. She's like, why can't I just swim down? Why do I have to have a noodle? She's like, because you're taking it slow. You know, we need to yeah. build your strength up, you know? So she went from riding a scooter to riding her bike to then she was like, can I have a skateboard? Oh my gosh. And so my husband at this time is like giving her the world. And so they went and got her a skateboard and we just knew helmet protection. Something. Yeah. Sh- Cause I don't care who you are. We have one of those, like, it's not a skateboard, but it's like a, like a ripstick. Yeah. It, it says broken arm to me every time I watch my kid get on it. Like, why do we own that? I'm sure someone gave it to us because I'm sure I didn't purchase that. So I don't care who, who your kid is or what they've been through. There are just some things that you're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to end up in the ER with that thing. Yeah. So let alone with some fear that 
you're you're gonna if you fall it like she's fragile and in your mind like you want to like hold it all in bubble wrap in, and mm-hmm. like keep her safe and she was like no I want to be normal I'm gonna do all these normal things yeah so. I think a lot of people were like why are you not stopping this and I was like what if tomorrow's tomorrow yeah yeah why not I mean what she went through made me look at it a little bit differently yeah that I wanted her to enjoy life yeah it changes your perspective. she's here let her she falls down she falls down mm-hmm. she'll get back up mm-hmm. and she got back on her horse and she wasn't and so off and running off and running no no fear for her no fear for her does she talk about it she talks about it sometimes I mean it's like for her she thinks like I really don't remember what's happened but I remember the stories that you she kind of have slept told. through it yeah so it's, yeah I guess she kind of doesn't remember she remembers vividly praying for the babies in the hospital we would lay there and it was where she we were on the busy side and I was asking them can we move yeah, this is like, when you went back to children's and she needs to be yes. healing and you're hearing babies cry And all the time. it's like babies crying and just the, the the ambulances coming in and the commotion of the doctors. And so then they moved us like four doors down because they needed that spot because that was the most crucial, you know, spot where they have their little system. Well, four doors down was great, but it was right across from where the shoot was for all the medicines and right across from social hour with all of the nurses. nurses. <laughs> so there was always noise. So there was so much more noise. Like every, we hear clunk, ha ha, clunk. I'm like, yeah. okay, we gotta move us yes. now. So then they moved us to a quiet side of the neighborhood and then it was free selling from there. Okay. Okay. So she doesn't necessarily talk about it, but you talk about it. I mean, this is yeah. one of the ways that God uses uses you and your story. So, I mean, what does that look like? What do you, how do you talk about it now? Now that it's kind of past tense, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that happened, but it has a happy ending and you can kind of set it down. And, and move forward? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how do you talk about it? How has it even challenged your faith in the next, you know, in, in, the, in the couple years? What, what does it look like for you personally? Yeah. So you've said before, it's Layla's story, So, but, but part of it's yours. So Yeah, it is Layla's story, but I think that for everything that happened, I saw God through every single moment of it, from him preparing me for that moment to the end ending and still going forward. Like when I get to share her story, it's to share with others to say it miracles do happen, you know? And he gave us this sign of Layla's miracle for many others to witness. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it all is seeing how her story impacted so many people. And it was just me telling her story while she was going through it. Yeah. You're just the, the voice of it. Yeah. But Yeah. Okay, so one thing I really want to talk about that I was excited to talk about is when we met and we were talking through the story. I mean, I, I am I, I'm a person of faith. I, I meet with a lot of Christians, and that's a lot of the conversation. But there's also a lot of conversation about, well, God talks to you, but he doesn't talk to me like that. Or, you know, you go to certain people and you're like, hey, will you pray for this? Because we think that people all hear from God the same way. And when we were meeting, I didn't know this part about you, but you talk about how God speaks to you in dreams, in literal dreams. Is it always that way? Or does God sometimes more, I don't know, it with through other people? Or let, let's just talk about how you heard from God along the way. Because I think it helps people be able to go, okay, I maybe don't hear God like Lauren does, but maybe I, I hear God like that. 
Mm-hmm. Or, but I didn't know that's what I was hearing. Or, I mean, when you were first telling me about the dreams, you were look, you were like, do you think I'm crazy? <laughs> and I'm like, no, because I actually have people who either solve problems in their dreams or I'm around other people that, that hear from God that way. But it isn't really how I hear from God. I'm trying to think if I've ever heard from God in a dream. No, but I have clear discernment on things. Weird. Some really weird moments of I know exactly what God said, Mm -hmm. but not like you. And I think that's good for people to hear that God talks to people differently. But there may be people who resonate with you and go, oh, I'm not nuts. Uh, Like that is. So, no, it didn't freak me out, um, but it is different from me. And I think that's good. So let's just kind of you talked about one. You had the dream with your friends. Right. That, you know, something was going to happen. You didn't know it was going to be you and that you were going to need them to walk that out with you. So that could have been scary to any one of you. Mm-hmm. But then there were some other parts. I think you dreamt about the doctor at one point. Uh, you know, just talk through some of that. Yeah. So I think God does speak to me through my dreams because obviously, you know, just this is this case is a, a story that is very like real that you can see through the whole journey. I also like just sitting at night, praying at night, you know, I can hear him speaking to me or telling me maybe not to handle it this way or giving me scriptures or leading me directly. I think that the more that we are still in his word and that's what he tells us to do, you know, come to me with everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've done. I just laid it at the feet. So you think his word matters because it's not just sit around and listen and hope he says something. Right. How does that, how do those things go together? How does hearing God in his word go together? I think for me, for what I think is just, just being in his word and listening to his word and being still. I mean, I have that over my bed, you know, be still and just not let our thoughts take over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so funny as a human, we are very easy to listen to Satan's lies. Sure. But we hear those really well. So clearly. Yeah. Yeah. But we need to learn to be still and quiet. And I tell my children, sometimes it's better when you don't talk, you just listen. Just yeah. stay in this, just stay in a, a room and just listen. Don't say anything. But yeah, it is easier for us to do the other way. But so I think where you were asking me is that, you know, how did he speak to me in another dream for this journey? I remember a week before her accident, we were sitting in the little hearth room and we just got through doing our, our Bible study and me and the girls. And I said, girls, I need to tell you, I had a very bad dream and it's been bothering me. I remember waking up early and sitting there with my coffee and just praying to God, like, why did you give me that dream? And so the dream was, I remember standing up and I remember looking over and there was all these people over Layla. And it was a lot of commotion and it was so crazy. And I remember seeing my husband to the left of me. And I remember this lady rocking into the room and said, you've got to sign these papers quickly. And then I woke up and I told the girls the dream because I knew through my years of hearing, seeing dreams, everybody says, well, you need to just tell people about them, you know, just speak of them. It's not crazy. Like you said, just speak of the dreams, that, the, the, the visions that you are given. So my girls knew that and they were like, oh, Layla's like, oh man, why does everything bad have to happen to me? I don't like hospitals. <laughs> and, and Layla, So it didn't freak her out though. I mean, you're telling your nine-year-old that right. you had this dream. Because they've heard mom talk about dreams, you know, or visions and stuff. And they trusted in me. They trusted in our faith. And um, so then Elizabeth's like, but Layla, if anything bad has to happen to any of us, it has to happen to you because you may be the little sister, but you've always been the big sister. You're stronger than me. Mm -hmm. And I remembered them like, let's not talk about it anymore. 
So fast forward, here we are, transport day to go to KU. It was crazy in there. And this lady walks into the room and says, you need to sign these papers. Mm. And I said, everyone stop. (laughs) And everyone stopped. (laughs) And they looked at me. And I was like, I had this dream. Yeah. This happened. And everybody kind of looked at me and went, okay. And then we're going back to take care of Layla. (laughs) Like... Move along. But that was God just preparing me, I think, along the journey and along the way. Mm-hmm. And I knew, again, it was another moment, like, when we're going through it, it was like, you could lay there and you could see her and you could see her pretty much lifeless. But God was telling me, I've got this. Like, when I was in the ambulance, like, mm-hmm. I felt the peace of presence coming over my body mm-hmm. telling me it's going to be okay. Yeah. And so. Have you ever... Had a dream or heard from the Lord in, in like like a it's going to be okay kind of a way. And it not gone the way that you either interpreted or I, I have some real moments of real clarity where God was very specific and it played exactly in, in the way, good or bad, the way I, I thought. I have some moments where I feel like he told me to do something. I did it and then he didn't do. And you're like, what the heck? I... I did what you said, and you knew I would. I, I'm so mm-hmm. faithful, God. When you speak, I, I jump. And then you, you know, so have you ever had that, where you thought that the dream meant something, or you thought he was going to do something that he didn't do? Or did you ever just hear wrong or misinterpret? Yeah, I think I misinterpreted. That's a, I think that's exactly what I did. Like, I have had those moments, and I thought it was supposed to go one way, mm-hmm. but then as years plan out, And I was like, okay. That's really what you were saying. That's what you were doing. Yeah. You just needed me to wait a little longer. Yeah. I always think that God has a great personality with that. Mm -hmm. Like, he's kind of like, ah, you thought you were going to get it that soon. But no. Yeah. We just need a little bit more time to make sure it's a clear picture. Well, and I think that you've said some really good things. But because scripture, one, is, I mean, a really big part of, we, we call it God's word. It is. It's his words. It's Jesus was word in flesh. I mean, there there are so many parts of that that are learning God's character, learning who he is, knowing him well enough to hear him. You know, it's just like any other relationship. If we're not spending time with him and, and we don't know who, his character, then it's really hard to interpret or or hear one line or one one phrase or even one passage and and understand it because we didn't we haven't seen the whole thing in in a full picture. So we have to know him. So scripture is super super key. But also we're humans and we still hear things through a human filter. There's still a flesh that that it comes through whether it's your dream or it's a semi audible kind of voice it still comes through the filter of my desires, my flesh. And so sometimes I, I I don't get exactly what he's saying or I think that he said X and really it was Y. And so I, I think that we have to be sort of open-handed with it. Like, okay, you, you showed me this mm-hmm. and I don't exactly know what you're going to do with it, but I trust you. And then when it does happen, you were the only one really excited about it in that room that day because they didn't understand, but you were pretty open-handed with, okay, I didn't, you didn't go around looking for the the papers to sign. Right. You waited for the moment when it was like, oh, this is it. This is, this is where God said, and, and he was almost like foreshadowing or like you said, preparing you. There were so many ways along the way that he was preparing you to, to walk that out. So and I just also think, like, in the beginning, like, when it happened, I was thinking, how am I going to reach out to get people to pray? And I was like, okay, I'm going to use social media. I mean, I went, I had, like, maybe 
45, 50 followers. I didn't use social media like a lot of people do for work or whatever. Mine's just to connect with family long distance or friends that just want to watch and see how my children or family's doing. And then like in a matter of 24 hours, I went up to almost 600. And then I remember one post having over 130 shares. Hmm. Um, It was just like people were asking me to keep like filling them, updated them, but they just kept saying like, you are making a difference. Like your faith is so strong. I cannot believe that this is happening this way, you know? So I, I knew that it was like, at that time, our church was trying to find our one, but I was feeling like I was reaching out to not just one, one yeah. just a lot more people and people all over the world. Like one day, Layla had one card sent to Children's Mercy and you could go into their portal and you could type up a little card. And then just spreading that message out there. I mean, she had the whole room within 48 hours covered with cards, the little old ladies couldn't even keep up trying to <laughs> fold these little papered printed cards for her. And everybody says this is probably by far the the most decorated room we've ever seen here at Children's Mercy. Mm. And reaching out people from different pastors, from different churches, reaching out to me and praying for Layla. Yeah. It was just being spread so big that that was the more beauty of it, that to, mm-hmm. the power of prayer. Yep. That was the whole thing. Like doctors kept saying, oh my gosh, you know, this, this is great. Yes. But it was the power of prayer. And I would just Mm. keep telling them that over and over again and getting the right people. Like I would pray for the right nurses. And I know that they could probably get in trouble doing this, but I remember one nurse leaning over to try to calm her because my voice wasn't doing it anymore. Mm. And she sang a Christian song to her in her ear. I mean, just little moments like that, that you knew that God was still providing. And I asked God in the very first post, you let Layla's story be a miracle for people to witness. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about this whole, I think that's why I'm so excited about it is because so many people got to see and witness a miracle. Yep. Well, and like you said, we hear the enemy's voice so clear and things are, the world is, is hard and angry and we're on edge. People are just so ready to, to fight or to believe things that, that aren't true. We, we, we lean towards that. And I think people are jonesing for hope mm-hmm. and for the stories of, of miracles. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not the only person, this is not some new novel idea. I'm not the first person to want to allow people's stories to be heard. There's actually several other people doing it right now. But the thing is, these are regular people right here, right here in the, in, in our midst, you're, you're right here local that people Jones to, to watch that and to see that. And I think it helps shut out the voice of the enemy. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, hope helps us pursue and, and move forward and persevere and push through these hard things. And I think you need louder, maybe not physically louder, but we're both pretty loud, but like louder, bolder, stronger stories and voices to push through the, the, la, the, the, it's almost like the pullback or like the pressure that the enemy, the enemy's pulling it back and wants us to sit still. And we have to be louder and bolder to push through that so that that's not what people hear anymore. Yeah. So I think it, well, and the, and scripture says that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? Mm-hmm. Your face is making me anyway, <laughs> because so, so Jesus did that. Jesus did the blood of the lamb that that part's done. That's where our hope comes from. But then we get to be the next part. 
our stories are how the enemy, we're going to kick him in the face and not right. let him hold people back. Rebuke him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's what you're doing and you're still doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's where the power is. The power is not in you or even in your really cool little girl or in the people that are around you that are still talking about it. I think Elizabeth is probably still talking about it, you know, mm-hmm. and still it is, it is a part of a lot of your, of your stories, but really you're just allowing God to, to, to show off and to continue to kick the enemy back. Absolutely. And he, when I would pray, I would pray for him, like, give them another sign. Give everybody another sign that this is going to be okay. And I remember before she went in to go to her surgery to KU, my daughter-in-law just received these bracelets that were like Layla Strong. And she put one on in front of her Apple watch and took a picture of it and posted like, like the bracelets are here. Pray for Layla. She's going into her next surgery. But on that on that um, watch was an image of a cross, like a, a reflection mm-hmm. of a cross. And everybody was like, did you see your watch? Right. Like, and it was a sign to let us know it was yep. going to end good. Just continual reminders. Just continual what, reminders. What to, to the look whole at. Thing. Yeah. Who, who to look at. So mm-hmm. that's good. Okay, so if you if you had to say one one more thing that you want people to hear, or whether it's about hearing from the Lord, or I don't know, is there is there one thing that you're like, if anybody hears anything, this is what I want them to hear. Mm. Yeah, I didn't prep you for that. Sorry, no, no you did not. <laughs> yeah. Just keep believing. I mean, God is our Lord and Savior. He is there for us. It, we are there to rely on him. He asked us for that. Yeah. And and he's faithful. When you did that, he spoke and you listened. He is. And then he and, spoke again. And sometimes things do happen and it was God's timing and it wasn't what we wanted to have happen. But we have to trust and know that the Lord is in control through it all, regardless of the outcome. Yeah. yeah and we have to stand firm. And I want that for my children. I want them to know that when they are in difficult situations or good situations, that you don't stop believing. You just still hold his hand. Yeah. And that's what I did. I held his hand along the journey. I remember telling our pastor when he called to check on us, I said, I feel bad. I don't even know my husband is present beside me right now because I I am talking to God. This is your daughter that you loaned me. Yeah. Tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. How do you want me to be her voice? Yeah. Lead me, guide me. Yep. Steer me in the right directions for you. Yep. And I knew that she had a story and I said, let her story be strong. So in the end, she can share with others. And that's where we are today. She's standing strong and Little does she know how strong her voice is going to be. Yeah. But she will use this one day. Yeah. Well, and that's a good message of truth about parents, people that we love that maybe may or may not be in a hospital situation. When when our kids are maybe wayward, they're making poor decisions, they're maybe not following him at all. I still, I, I, I find myself praying very similarly, but not, not in sickness, but just these are your kids. Show me how to do this. Mm-hmm. Teach me how to do this. I, I, I think that you have a, a story and a plan here, but I, 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 sometimes I feel like I'm failing, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't know how to parent this situation or I don't know. I mean, in, in my case, it's different. I'm walking out grief with kids from eight to 29 mm-hmm. and there are real moments of like, I don't know how to do this. So it's it's not that different. It's not. It doesn't have to be that they have a kid in a hospital bed to be able to relate to. Teach me how to do this. Walk with me. Right. Rely on him. 
you know, and, and he will, he's, he's faithful to, to teach us how to love the people around us. I'm so grateful. Cause I would really suck at it without him. Absolutely. I, I do Same. suck at it with him sometimes. <laughs> he has to fill in the gaps and, and fix the mistakes and, you know, do all the things that I am incapable of doing, but right. we just keep holding his hand. I, I like that a lot. Right. And, so. you know, and then along at the end of it all, you know, there's still like, like you said, it's that aftermath of, of teaching, of going through this walk, walking it differently. Yes, Layla's here. Yes, her outcome was different. But if Elizabeth hears an ambulance, she immediately mm-hmm. tenses up, you know, so we still have aftermath sure. from this accident. But like you said, it's walking with God through it all. It's sometimes as when she is stressed or going through something, the older sister with this, because of the accident, I sometimes don't know what to say that I just say, let's just lay at it. Let's Mm -hmm. just lay down and lay it at the feet of God and let him fix this because that's where it stems from. I can't fix her. You know, only God can fix her and heal her from that traumatic experience that she had to witness. Right. And what she had to go through. And she was such a trooper, too, going through it all. I'm so super proud of her. She did not have her mom for three and a half weeks. She relied on family and neighbors to take care of her. Mm -hmm. And yet during it all, she was forming prayer groups at the church, at the school, getting together with people and praying for her sister, just ministering in a different way that her friends got to see a different side of her journey. Yep. Yep. Well, and sometimes I, I wonder if some of the, what, we, what we're calling aftermath or the reminders are, are also almost like a thorn in the flesh, like Paul talks about, where it, it allows us to not forget. You know, like so, sometimes it, in the Israelites were super forgetful, like, you know, mm-hmm. God fed them the day before and then the next day, oh, you brought us out here to kill us. And where are you? Where are you? And we're a little bit like that, where we might forget what God did in that season. Or, or what he taught you or how he provided or how he showed up and was so present. And so maybe sometimes some of the, what we're calling aftermath is just to kind of not let us forget, not let us rely on ourselves again. Cause it's really easy to get right. really comfortable and everything's okay. It's wrapped up in a bow. Yay. And the reality is we, we need him all the time. All the that, time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not saying, I hope that she doesn't, you know, I would love for her to, to get to put some of that trauma down and kind of use it in a really powerful way. But, you know, there's always going to be reminders, I think, so that we don't forget the days that we had to rely solely on him. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or that she had to have the grit to form prayer groups as a high school kid, right. you know, or to, to show up and take care of herself for, for those weeks. And, um, you know, that she needs to remember that she was really strong, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's some of the God's not going to let her completely forget what that felt like. Yes. So maybe that's good. Yes. In some ways. So, hey, I really, really appreciate and and, and am super grateful for your time. Um, God's going to use it in a really big way. So I'm really excited. And, yeah, we just might have to do it again because I feel like there's a whole lot of other other details and other parts of the story that, that are good. So thank you. Oh, thank you so for much. having me. Of course. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at OrdinaryGrit.com. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at Ordinary Grit Podcast to get to know me and my guests.